Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. again everyone and welcome back to the front line with joe and joe joe Pasillo, as always joined by joe resinello and once more dear brothers and sisters let us go into the breach on the veritas catholic radio network 1350 on your am dial 103.9 on your fm dial spreading the truth of the catholic faith in the new york city metropolitan area uh, remember also, as we always ask you, download the app if you like all of our station's content, the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you can have access to everything. And please share it with your friends. And if you like what Joe and I do, you can follow us on the, on uh, social media, primarily at uh, the Frontline TV, the Frontline TV on YouTube. We ask you, if you like us, to like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff, help us out. And today, we're very pleased and honored to be welcoming back to the program, David Pinault. And uh, for those of you who don't remember our last conversation with David, uh, I just want to give a brief bio. He is the Emeritus Professor of Religious Studies at Santa Clara University and the author of two books, published by Ignatius Press, The Crucifix on Mecca's Front Porch, A Christian's Companion for the Study of Islam, and the novel Providence Blue, a fantasy quest, which we will be discussing with Professor Penault in today's interview. David Penault, welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Thank you so much, Joe. It's really an honor and a pleasure to be here again with you. Well, we had so much fun the first time. So it was like, we, we, we got to have David back on the show. So what better way, what better reason to have you back than tend to discuss your book and then and, and get, uh, and hopefully our audience members will uh, will buy it. So with that said, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello. David, we always start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us. Amen. In the name amen. of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, David, uh, we pride ourselves on our research when we do our interviews. And I listened to an interview you gave a while back with Ignatius, who published this book. Um, your, your enthusiasm for it really shows. Honestly, I mean, I know Providence is your hometown. Is that why? I mean, like how much of your experience of growing up, you know, in Providence, Rhode Island? Because when you talk about it, I'll be honest, I mean, it really shows that you, this is, a, this is like, you know, almost like a work of love for you. Um, so how, do, how much has Providence kind of made its way into this? Well, I think a lot, Joe, actually, that's a really good question. Um, as, as you know, that's my hometown. That's where I grew up. And, um, and I feel a continuing relationship and affection for the city. And in fact, you know, what I wanted to do, and there were many things I wanted to accomplish uh, with this story. And part of it was to sort of offer a theological reflection on what it means to me to be a Catholic, but to root it all in the place where I came from. And there's a sense in which, yes, it's true. This story is really kind of a valentine to my hometown and to the state of Rhode Island. Um, very much inspired by the fact that, um, you know, as a boy, as a teen, you know, I'd spend a lot of time 
in the most historic part of the city in College Hill, um, the Athenaeum, the private library that uh, is sort of at the heart of the narrative. That's a place where, you know, I'd bicycle over and spend a lot of time there, just uh, immersed in that library. Um, and then of course, go downtown and go to the Haven Brothers Diner. You know, that's, uh, I can remember my dad taking me there when I was very little. So yeah, a lot of good memories there. Coffee, milk all the way, David. Yeah. That's the deal. <laughs> Amen. That's the funny the thing about doing this show is that wherever anybody is from, Joe Resinello has been there. Yeah, I was, I was an auditor for 12 years. I've like been everywhere. That song like by Johnny yeah, Cash is Hell me. yeah. You know, we, 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 we interviewed we interviewed Bishop Athanasius Snyder. It's probably the only place Joe hasn't been is Kazakhstan. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but you're working on it. That's great. I'm trying, maybe. You never know. But yeah. speaking of moving around, David Penault joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, we're just good. We're going to be getting into David's book, Providence Blue, a fantasy quest. Um, so now, but you've been on the West Coast now for what, over three years? Oh, yeah, so, yeah. Does yeah. that change your view a little bit? Like I just got here, I'm in Arizona and I only got here seven months ago. And obviously I'm from Newark, New Jersey. Um, how is living on the West Coast? How's that experience uh, briefly been for you when you look at that relative to Providence? Well, it, it just gives me a much greater appreciation for the area that I grew up in uh, for many reasons. Um, you know, uh, Jody and I, my wife and I, you know, we moved here uh, for the work you know, uh, to be able to find a place where both of us could teach. Um, and we're grateful for that. But I have to say, first of all, I miss the deep sense of history that you have in a city like Providence, where um, everywhere that you go, especially in the downtown and College Hill area, you have a sense of, you know, the historical tradition. Um, you, you walk around the cobblestone streets, um, the type of lighting, the, the architecture, all of that speaks to me very deeply. And of course, it goes back uh, to boyhood memories. But of course, there's another thing too that makes me appreciate Providence all the more. And that is that if you're living on the West Coast um, in the Bay Area, <clears throat> it means that we're kind of uh, politically in the radiation fallout area of the People's Republic of Berkeley. Um, and being uh, considerably more conservative myself, you know, that makes me appreciate Rhode Island and its Catholic heritage all the more. All right. Well, that's Go why ahead, God Joe. put you there, David. Yeah. You got <laughs> to be a light, and I'm sure you yes. have been. There's no doubt in my mind. Thank you. Um, Ignatius basically categorized this as a, a faith-based fantasy. Um, what do you mean by that? You know, it's interesting, actually. I mean, there's been others, in fairness, want to be very clear to people. C.S. Lewis, we just did an interview with a professor from Notre Dame who's talking about the Chronicles of Narnia. I would say that basically falls into that genre. Also, obviously, J.R.R. Tolkien with uh, what's it called, Lord of the Rings trilogy. I would say that falls into that. So give us like an idea of what that, that genre is. It's interesting. Yes, it really is. So when we use the term faith-based fantasy, the way that I see this is it's, if you like, for me, it's an imaginative exploration of what it means to have a Catholic worldview. In other words, when we're talking about fantasies, we are talking about the coupling of imagination with the Catholic worldview. And so, in a sense, the way I see my story is as a chance to use one of the most powerful aspects of our imagination, that is storytelling, 
and use that in the service of the Catholic faith. In other words, <clears throat> you say to yourself, we want to be able to share what we believe to be the truths of the Catholic faith with others. Then the question is, well, how do I do that? Well, one way is just to enunciate the teachings, but you want to catch people's imagination. I mean, I remember reading once about um, a, a monk from the Middle Ages. He's preaching from his pulpit, but he finds that everyone is falling asleep. And so he suddenly ships over and says, once upon a time there was, and all of a sudden the congregation starts to wake up because story is something that all of us can relate to instinctively as human beings. And so I guess you could say that what I'm trying to do is to, is to share my passion for the Catholic faith, but to do that through story. And the imagination offers us all of us, I think, as human beings, a way to be able to relate instantly. In other words, I hope to catch people who would ordinarily say, ah, Catholic doctrine, I knew about that when I was six, I walked away from it, blah, blah, blah. Catch them through story, get them interested in the characters, get them interested in the place, and then the truths of the Catholic faith may sneak up on them in the middle of the story. You know, I agree with you, and I think sometimes people could get too rigid in, in, in approaching storytelling and trying to teach, you know, the truths of the church. I read a book, uh, it's like, I don't know what the genre, you would probably know it better than I, historic fiction, like sure. on St. Luke, I read a yeah. book, like, and I also read one on St. Helen talking yeah. about like her son, Constantine, and also Michael O'Brien in Canada, who wrote yeah. Father Elijah, which is a phenomenal story about the apocalypse. Again, it's fantasy. He's, you know, it, it's fiction, but he's teaching something. Sometimes I think we can't get out of our own way. I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. This is me speaking, you know. Yeah. Joe, let me let me piggyback off that and ask David for a comment. David Pinal joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasolo, Joe Rosanello. We're discussing David's new book, Providence Blue, A Fantasy Quest. That's available at Ignatius Press. Um, I think a part of that, I think, and, and I'd love for your comments on this. Um, part of that, I think, comes from the mindset that we can't think outside of, and it's a very evangelical mindset, we can't think outside of scripture. We can't think outside of the written word and that's it. They're very critical, let's say, because I would think that part of the Catholic imagination is adopting, let's say, Greek philosophy as the church did over time, like through Augustine and Aquinas. That's the church imagining that, yes, they're, they're, that God will, will shed his truth to through others, through different means, in this case, philosophy. So we take that and we incorporate, let's say, for good sake, Plato and Aristotle into, into uh, yeah, and we use that in our Catholic faith. I think people are afraid to use their imagination in that way. Mm -hmm. Let me just stick with the Bible and that's it. But God, God doesn't put those limits on us. God speaks to us in all different ways. What would you say, David, to people who think that by you know, using our Catholic imagination, we're putting our faith at risk. Because I don't happen to agree with that, nor does Joe, but I could see somebody saying that. So what, what, what do you think of that? Well, I think that um, those, when people talk like that, what happens is they're letting themselves be held back by fear. They're worried about straying from the path. Now, in itself, it's a legitimate concern, you know, 
we are on this earth as pilgrims journeying back to heaven, yes, I completely agree with that. And, you know, any Catholic, you know, growing up with the Salve Regina, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, we're here mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. You know, we want to be reunited with Mary and her son. All of that makes sense to me. However, what I tell people, and I have encountered this before, especially people, as you say, with an evangelical mindset, what I say to people who express suspicion of fiction is I tell them, look, God is the one who gave us our imagination. That's something that comes to us just as you have with the use of reason. In other words, this what you mentioned with regard to philosophy is so true. Some people regard the intellect as being opposed to the faith. But I think that the, the better way to think of this issue is that God gave us our reason. He gave us our imagination. These are tools at the disposal of the faithful. And so the thing to do, I think, is, you know, when you read fiction, of course, there's lots of fiction that's just trash. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. However, this is where I think um, a good Catholic press such as Ignatius does a kind of filtering. Okay. In other words, Ignatius is not going to publish a story. And by the way, Ignatius is one of the biggest Catholic publishers of fiction in the world. You know, they're not going to publish something unless they feel that it meets the test theologically. Okay, that's something I just say that to, you know, oh, all it's of the our truth. Readers. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, what I what I feel is that <clears throat> what the imagination offers us is particularly applicable to the Catholic faith, because the Catholic faith is one that is sacramental. It believes that we can find God in the things of this world. Why? Because God made this world and he found that it was good. We know that from the book of Genesis. And so we should be able to meet the things and the people of this world with an open heart and not be overly suspicious. And so if God gave us this imagination, really what we're doing is we are trusting that God can help to, to guide us through a Catholic-oriented use of our imagination. And I think that's the important thing, and I'm going to hand it over to Joe, David Penalt, is that I think imagination like conscience should be formed. Of course, conscience can be a very bad thing if it's not formed properly. The imagination. I mean, you could look, just look around our culture and you could see what happens with a malformed or ill-formed imagination produces. One just needs to look at Hollywood, okay? So, you know, imagination could be, uh, could be a bad thing if not formed properly. But if you have a Catholic worldview, well, you know, when I think about, let's say, you're, you're writing, you know, faith-based fantasy, when I think of Lord of the Rings, like Joe mentioned, okay, but, you know, I can hear people say, well, Frodo's not in the Bible. Well, Frodo doesn't have to be in the Bible. But I think you're right. I think that, that's the main thing. Um, then I'm going to hand it over to Joe, is that if, if our imagination is properly formed, if, it, if, it, if, a pro if we look at the world properly, then imagination is a wonderful thing. That's how we get this, this storytelling that you're talking about, whether I, I would say whether it's in the form of the written word or even when it comes to, you know, great movies. Yes. Joe Racinello. In the book, David, you bring together uh, uh, some interesting and diverse characters, Edgar Allan Poe, Robert E. Howard, 
HP Lovecraft. You also mentioned earlier that uh, library plays a role in, in the book itself. Um, I'm interested. How did you choose? I mean, you know, those three guys aren't exactly related to, to one another. How do you pick them? Are they just favorite authors of yours? Like how, how did they uh, come, come about to be in the book? Well, here's the interesting thing, Joe, and thank you for that question. Um, <clears throat> the, the three authors, let me just, uh, for the benefit of our readers who may not be familiar with them, I'll just review briefly. The most famous of the three is Edgar Allan Poe, um, the Gothic storyteller and um, poet of the early 19th century. <clears throat> the second of them, H.P. Um, Lovecraft, who um, is probably the best known of the horror writers of um, the 20th century. Um, and then the third of them, Robert E. Howard, is sort of the king of pulp fiction. And uh, he's best known for um, the stories associated with Conan the Barbarian. Now, the interesting thing is that um, they all, um, directly or indirectly, have a link to Rhode Island, to Providence, and to the library called the Athenaeum on Benefit Street in College Hill of Providence. I grew up in Providence and I haunted that library when I was a kid. <clears throat> it turns out that Edgar Allan Poe, although at the time he was living in uh, Baltimore, in the 1840s, he frequently took the train up to Providence because at the time he was dating, romantically involved with probably the foremost woman poet <clears throat> in New England at that time, Sarah Helen Whitman, and they would have their romantic rendezvous at the Athenaeum Library. Okay, H.P. Lovecraft, who was very influenced by Poe, H.P. Lovecraft is a Providence native who in the 1930s, so almost a century later, also um, did a lot of his writing and studying and reading at the Athenaeum Library. Okay. And the third author, Robert E. Howard, the public author from Texas, he um, became acquainted with H. who was writing and changed correspondence frequently uh, with Lovecraft. The two of them um, frequently wrote um, to each other about the different places they had grown up and exchanged information. Um, so Lovecraft acquainted um, Robert E. Howard with the city of Providence and um, the author of Conan, Robert E. Howard, had a lot of anecdotes to share about Texas. So they all actually sort of intersect uh, with regard to Rhode Island. And um, I picked them because of the fact that I realized these are authors who intersect in my hometown in a library that I loved. And, um, and I realized they each have a very distinctively different worldview. Um, and all of those worldviews are interesting and intriguing, um, but they also, uh, let's put it this way, um, all of them are quite different from the Catholic point of view. And what I wanted to do, in a sense, was to sort of evaluate my childhood reading in the light of my own Catholic faith as an adult. I think it's interesting, and I also like the fact that they're different. Yeah. I think we've lost that understanding as a culture. Um, we can't agree to disagree anymore. Yeah. We're not going to convince anyone of anything if we separate ourselves from one another. 
we have to talk and we don't we're, we're not able to do that anymore as a country really it, it's disturbing it's sad actually and i like the fact that they're different we as catholics should engage with conversation with people frankly we should we're supposed to be in the world but not of the world but we have to be in it um is that one of the messages that you wanted to come out of this book well very much so joe and in fact the way that i approach this in in a sense part of what the novel is about me perfectly uh is to um try to come to terms with what i would call <laughs> disturbing legacy of hp lovecraft he is someone who has been very, very influential um, on the sort of uh, horror fiction scene. There are uh, conventions every two years in Providence, uh, Necronomicon, H.P. Lovecraft conferences, you know. And <clears throat> I acknowledge that you know, he was, you know, a big fictional presence when I was young. I wanted to grapple with his legacy, which, as I said, is negative in many ways. Um, and I should, let's put it this way. Uh, I would say that H.P. Lovecraft's worldview is essentially Gnostic. And when I say Gnostic, what I mean is that he sees the cops, the world at large, as being indifferent to humans at best, and at worst, being actively hostile towards us. So he is someone who is not only an atheist, but someone who, um, as I said, sees the cosmos as uh, uh, cold, indifferent, even hostile towards us. And what I wanted to do was to basically challenge that worldview while at the same time engaging readers who might not want to listen to me if all I did was to write an essay saying, I disagree with H.P. Lovecraft's worldview. I wanted to enter into that world and see if I can intrigue, intrigue readers to rethink the worldview of H.P. Lovecraft. I've had those kind of conversations personally with folks back in Rhode Island, and I wanted to see if I could engage with this in a larger arena through the medium of storytelling. Thank you for that. David Pinal joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're discussing David's new book, Providence Blue. It's a novel. It's out from Ignatius Press. Let me ask you, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing, let's say, as Catholic artists in general? Um, we're not the, the Catholic artist is not supposed to be writing treatises and handing it out and then put it and then reading that on YouTube and thinking you're gonna you're gonna change people's hearts and minds. You're a storyteller. Yeah. Tell the stories that represent the Catholic worldview and throw it out there. Yeah. Okay. Knows if Hollywood, I use Hollywood, I pick on Hollywood because everything, most of what they produce is trash. Okay. If Hollywood produces trash, we need to produce good quality movies. Yeah. Okay. That are not preaching. I like, I, you know, some people think that if you make a movie, right. In other words, it's, it's, it's gotta be it, it, you, the only movie you can make is the passion of the Christ. And that's not, no matter how great a movie that is, and that is the greatest story ever told, okay? And that's what we're talking about with you, David Penalt, is no, we have a Catholic imagination. If you don't like the stories that Hollywood's producing, <coughs> excuse me, and their characters and their themes, write your own. Yeah. Put it out there. Don't preach, okay? Just, just use our imagination to, to create better stories. 
okay, to get our worldview across. What's the problem there, David? Why the disconnect? No, it's because I'm, I'll be honest with you. I don't, I, a lot of these, this Christian, these Christian movies that are out there now, I don't really see them. They're very preachy. They're very sappy. Yeah. Okay. I, you know, I, and, and I don't want to be too harsh on them because they're trying to do the right thing. We need to use our imagination. Where am I wrong, David? Yeah. Well, I agree with you. Now, here's the thing, Joe. <clears throat> As I mentioned earlier, I think um, much of the evangelical mindset, I don't want to overgeneralize here. But many of the evangelicals that I've met, um, I think that they can be limited sometimes by fear. They're, they're very, very worried about stepping off the straight and narrow path. And so um, <clears throat> I guess some people have the feeling that, well, if I just you know, stick only to uh, the, the literal word of scripture, then I can't go too far wrong. And that's okay up to a point. As you say, they're good-hearted and they're well-intentioned. <clears throat> but I think that if we're going to reach the population at large, then <clears throat> we have to be more daring. You know, we have to be willing to go out on that tightrope over the abyss and to reach out to people on the other side who, and this is the real challenge. There are so many people I have met, <clears throat> and I'm speaking especially of lapsed, Catholics, people, and I, and I say this as a teacher, as someone, you know, I've worked with many students over the years, and what has often happened is the toughest students to reach, the toughest young people to reach are the people who were nominal Catholics, and they tell me, I already know everything I need to know about Catholicism from when I was a kid. They become disillusioned at the age of 10 or 12 or whatever. Those are the hardest people to reach. I'll tell you, it's a lot easier, for example, when I do world religion courses, if I'm talking about Buddhism or Hinduism, I have those kids' attention because they don't know anything about those religions, and so they're willing to at least listen, okay, and give it a try. As soon as I start to talk about Christianity, especially Catholicism, they say, ah, now I know all that already, <laughs> okay? Yeah. So when I write my stories, well, I have a fresh chance because what I do is with Providence Blue, for example, <clears throat> I start off with certain basic known historical data. Robert E. Howard was someone who, as I said, he corresponded with H.P. Lovecraft. And um, <clears throat> he is somebody, Robert E. Howard is someone who, very, very talented, but also someone who went through a lot of mood swings. And at the age of 30, and this is really sort of the starting point of the novel, at the age of 30, he kills himself, he shoots himself, he commits suicide. Now, it's also known as a historical fact that his girlfriend at the time, his romantic attachment, Noveline Price, she herself uh, was a school teacher. She was someone who had done everything she could while, she, while he was still alive. He had done, she, uh, Noveline Price had done everything that she could to try to keep him alive, to keep him engaged. And so what I use as a starting point in my novel is to say, okay, what happens, what happens when he dies, okay? And I'm very interested in this novel to explore Catholic notions about the afterlife, Catholic notions about heaven and hell, and especially the whole notion of what I would call the second chance. I want to continue that, 
um, uh, along those lines. Unfortunately, David, it's radio, so we're coming up on a break. Uh, let's take a quick break. This is a great conversation. We're going to pick that right up there, David, when we come back um, about that very question. Um, you're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Rasinello. We have David Penault uh, joining us here today for a conversation on his book, novel, let me say it's a novel, Providence Blue, A Fantasy Quest, and that's available at Ignatius Press. So you're listening to us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. Stick around. We have another great segment with David Penault. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello. We're in the breach with David Penalt, and we're discussing his novel, Providence Blue, a fantasy quest, which is available at Ignatius Press. So, David, we ended the last segment talking. You you were talking about H.P. Lovecraft and the fact that— uh, Robert his, Howard. I'm sorry, Robert Howard, and the fact that his, his suicide— uh, uh, start at the point where you, uh, you want to explore the question now— what happens after he dies? So that's where we came up on the break. I'm gonna I'm gonna hand it right back to you. Okay. Because these are questions, obviously, that, 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 that this is where the crux of it. This is our Catholic faith: death, judgment, heaven, hell. What happens after we die? So we'll throw that back to you. Yeah. Okay. Good. So <clears throat> one of the things that I do in this novel, then, as I mentioned, the story actually starts with his suicide, <clears throat> and I'm in. First of all, I should tell you that I take as my starting point the fact that <clears throat> we believe as Catholics that we cannot judge what happens to others in the afterlife. And so <clears throat> even if we know of someone who has committed suicide, which is obviously something that is forbidden in our Catholic faith, nonetheless, we cannot presume to judge what happens to them. That's and correct. Yes, yeah, exactly. Because <clears throat> we believe as Catholics that God's mercy is infinite, that Christ died on the cross for the salvation of all, and that <clears throat> Mary, our Blessed Mother, is constantly praying for both the living and the dead. That's something <clears throat> excuse me, that I firmly believe. And so we cannot prejudge what happens to people, including those who have committed suicide. And so what I do is to explore a historical datum, the fact that he did shoot himself, he did commit suicide, and the fact that we know that Noveline Price, his girlfriend, loved him very much and wanted to do whatever she could for him. And so in the novel, what I explore is, okay, <clears throat> I um, basically present and an afterlife journey in which he experiences the possibility of a second chance and in which essentially she pursues him in a sense through the afterlife and through the underworld to try to help him experience repentance, redemption, and a second chance. And I do that through the medium of storytelling and through the idea that he is going to, in a sense, um, resurface in Providence, Rhode Island, 
with H.P. Lovecraft and Edgar Allan Poe. You know, it's funny. Um, I had a friend um, 20 years ago who committed suicide. Uh, he was very active in the church, a very public figure. He was the cantor in our church. And his wife uh, and he separated and he killed himself. And it was horrible, to be completely honest with you. Years ago, the church would not permit such a person to have a funeral mass. That has changed. Um, and to your point, David, we don't know what takes place between because God is outside of time. The second before someone kills themselves, what went on in their head, how Christ reaches out to to others. Um, I think that has to be said because it's important. Another thing I always think of, um, and I invite all people to do it, is to read uh, the diary of Faustina. And in it, um, it says, and I did this when my father was dying, to pray the chaplet at their deathbed. Um, this is something very important. I got that from that diary. Also in that diary, she says, and she had direct conversations with Christ, at the moment of death, Jesus will reach a hand to every person three times because he wants everyone to go to heaven. Everyone. And that's a reassuring thing for me, too. Obviously, we have to reach a hand back, but that's how much God loves us, that he did not come, as scripture says, to condemn the world, but to save it. And I think we have to think in those terms with people. And, and I don't know if I always do. You know, I always say there's going to be a lot of surprises in heaven. I think we're going to see God willing, I get there, David. So pray for me. Trust me. I struggle every day. Um, but when we get there, God willing, we'll say, oh, my gosh, look who's here. Look yeah. who's here. But then we may say, look who's not, which is let interesting. Me, let me take that line, Joe, and throw it back to David Penault joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. So what I'm hearing from you guys is is hope. No, you're, you're you're talking about hope. Um, and we have, a, I mean, many, many, many people out there. Um, are 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 in a state of despair, which is said we all have moments of despair in our lives. Okay, it's what it's one of the the things the devil tries to you know attack us with. But one of the driving themes, David, in your story is how despair is transcended by hope. Um, and so for our audience and those out there who let's say maybe you know uh, facing or 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 facing a, a moment or or being in a state of despair, how is how do you convey this message? How how is it that in Providence Blue we get that that Catholic sense that yes, there is despair, but there is hope which transcends despair? Yes, well, actually, um, excellent question. Thank you, Joe. Um, one thing I should mention is that another layer in this novel of mine, Providence Blue, is um, history relating to the founding of Rhode Island back in 1636 by Roger Williams, who came to Rhode Island uh, in the 17th century as um, basically <laughs> a religious refugee. He had been persecuted by the Puritans in the Boston colony of Massachusetts. And so um, what you see when you read the story is that um, connecting 
the 17th century of Roger Williams, the religious, the Christian religious refugee, 17th century connected with the 19th century with Edgar Allan Poe's visit to Providence, the 20th century with H.P. Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard, and then the 21st century, because I also have characters from the present day who are using the Athenaeum Library, connecting them all is the Providence River. Um, because a lot of the action takes place there and the Providence River flows, you know, very close by to the Athenaeum. Connecting all of them, okay, the lives of these characters, this goes back to um, the roots of Rhode Island's history because the state motto, I mean, one thing that as a child growing up in Rhode Island, you learn that <clears throat> our state has the longest title and the shortest motto. But the official title of Rhode Island when I was growing up the state of Rhode Island and Providence Plantations, the longest state title. <laughs> it, has the, it has the shortest motto, one word, hope, hope, okay? And that's something else that I grew up with. And how that translates uh, into the novel is that there are many characters in the novel whose lives are broken and they are seeking to heal. And what I try to emphasize is that we have the ability, and I try to illustrate this in the story, we have the ability to act as what in Latin is called an alter Christus, right? another Christ, a second Christ. Okay, God, God works through us. We can serve as God's hands to try to help to heal others. So one example of that is what I mentioned earlier is that Noveline Price, who historically was Robert E. Howard's girlfriend, who tried to do as much as she could for him, in the story, what she does is she follows the spiritual trail as his soul. I'm going to spoil everything that happens in the novel, but... Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. <laughs> yeah. As he, becomes, as he becomes caught in a kind of... Necronomances uh, net cast by H.P. Lovecraft, she chooses to expose to the risk of having to confront this kind of dark magic spell. It's the risk of confronting H.P. Lovecraft out of her for Robert E. Howard. She never gives up on Robert E. Howard. Just as Christ and Mary, his mother, never give up on us. That's a motif that is very strong in this story, the notion of a second chance of people reaching out their hand to us. And I love what before story of Sister Faustina and Christ extending his hand to us. He does that constantly. And I believe that Christ continues to do that even in the afterlife, in our anguish in the flames, you know? Um, you know, C.S. Lewis has this wonderful image in his own writing where he talks about, you know, people tend to think of hell as a prison that God has locked us in. And C.S. Lewis says, you know, actually what you discover is that hell is someplace where the door has been locked from the inside. God is constantly tapping on that door, you know, but we've locked it from the inside, C.S. Lewis says, which reminds me of what Dante says in the Inferno. 
namely that <laughs> the gate of hell is open. That's something we choose to enter. We could actually step outside of it, okay? But, you know, he emphasizes, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, uh, <clears throat> that gate has been locked from the outside. And I'll just add to that, and this is something that I mentioned in Providence Blue, the Catholic saint, St. Catherine of Genoa, she talks about how the gate of heaven is constantly open. And so often what happens is the souls are, they feel like they're not worthy to enter heaven. They don't realize that God is constantly extending his arms towards us. He wants everybody there. So I try to convey that sense of, that sense of hope in the novel and that notion of are all having a second chance, which is something we all want. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that's one of the it's always one of the common caricatures of the Catholic faith, particularly with atheists and uh, and others, is you know what well, a loving God will send you to hell. No, 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 He's all loving. That that's for sure. But if I end up in hell, it's because I chose it. Yeah. Okay. And yes, and 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 I, I guess I don't remember if it was Augustine or Aquinas who said if you want have if you want to become a saint, will it? Yeah. And you will it by listening, as Joe Rosanello loves to say on the show all the time, all right? By humbling yourself and listening to Christ and his church. That's how you will becoming a saint, okay? In other words, by, by, by just, you know, on your knees, boy, pray, okay? Yeah. Pray and go to the sacraments. And, and, and that's how the God's grace working in you um, will, 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 you know, provide for your salvation. Uh, so we, we have, uh, David Penalt here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello. We're discussing Providence Blue, a fantasy quest. Uh, David, uh, Ignatius, Ignatius.com, IgnatiusPress.com. Where can people buy the book? Oh, uh, yes. So you can Ignatius.com. Uh, and then, uh, which I always recommend, you know, go to Ignatius Press. You'll find it very easily. Buy from them if you can. But as a fallback, you can find Providence Blue, a fantasy quest on good old Amazon. Yeah. Well, you know what I'm about to say. Fight on Ignatius. Fight on Ignatius. Joe Racinello, yeah. where do you want to go? Yeah. I, I'm going to explore the second chance a little bit more because I think that's such an American idea. I mean, um, everyone who came to America got a second chance. My family did. They were from Southern Italy. Um, you know, all immigrants, they come for a chance. Then you could look at the saints. We we explored the last time you were on the show, David, the life of Charles de Foucault. He had a, <clears throat> he had a second chance. And gosh, did he make something of it. We could look at so many saints, St. Paul, Mary Magdalene, Augustine himself, all very worldly people in many different ways in many different segments of society, but worldly, they got a second chance. We have to give people a try. I think that's what it is, really. Sometimes people surprise you, but we're not willing to do it. Like in the here and now, I think that's our job as Catholics. We have to love people. We have to get Christ did that. And many of his most devout followers to the end, the bitter end, Mary Magdalene, she had a second chance and she made so much of it. I, I think we have to encourage our Catholic brothers and sisters to do that. We sometimes get too tribal. 
and you know like or, or we even within churches like I, I you would probably know this in providence because it's it's an ethnic area as where i grew up in you got the polish church the italian church the irish church and gosh you shouldn't cross that line and if you do oh my lord you know what i'm saying we can't yeah. do that talk yeah. about that because i think that if that message comes out of this book that's a good message yeah well very much so because uh, when you when you read Providence Blue, what you'll see is that there are many different clashing worldviews that come together. And what I try to convey <clears throat> is uh, the notion that what we need to have with each other is a little bit more patience, a little bit more sense of forgiveness to be able to listen to each other. And eventually what happens is the people who are willing to extend a sense of love and patience towards others, they can help guide others through, not by shouting at them, but by being a presence with them. And as I mentioned before, the motif for me of the second chance is you know, so important. It's been important in my life. Uh, one of my heroes, in a sense, <laughs> has been Dismas, the good thief. Here's someone who made a complete wreck of his own life. And you would think, well, he's finished, you know, and he's being executed by the Roman state, you know, as a criminal. But up on the cross, he recognizes, oh my gosh, this person who's also being executed alongside me, this is a good man. And right at the last minute, Dismas has enough presence of mind to say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that story really grabbed me when I was a kid growing up, you know, and, you know, and I can, I can still remember, you know, I was an altar boy back when the mass was still in Latin, you know, and I can remember the words of the Vulgate Bible, hodie eris mecum in paradiso, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise, you know, and I, I can remember even as a kid, wow. If Christ can be that generous, even at the last minute, the very last minute, I think this hope of us, even of hope and spiritual optimism in Providence Blue. That's a big part of what the novel's all about. No, I'm, 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 thank you, thank you for that, David. Um, I want to stay on for a second. Uh, David, here at the front. We don't we don't wash anything here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Okay, so when we when again not because we're special, bother okay? um, to listen and we, and we 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 take in everything. Um, you know when you talk about hope, I think right now, unfortunately, and I love a quick comment on this. Does it seem to you that on and when you talk about factions in the church, I don't think there's a proper view uh, of of God's justice and God's mercy. I really don't. Okay, um, you got the fire and brimstone. In other words, in other words, follow everything to the to the to you know to to every uh, the, to the letter of the law, um, and, and because God's justice has to be paid, and most people go to hell and blah blah blah. And you, we've all heard those arguments before. And then the other side, whereas nobody goes to hell, you know, as long as we all hold hands, as long as we're good Americans, right? We believe in free trade. We're nominally pro-life. We're all going to heaven. We don't harm our neighbors. Talk about how how this all gets distorted. The 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 
acceptance and acknowledgement that God is both a God of justice, okay? So yes, you will be held accountable as an individual creation of God for your life, okay? And also the God who is a God of mercy and how that gets, at least in our culture, I think, that the, 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 there's an overemphasis both ways and not a proper view, a proper balance of when we think about this. Yeah, I think one way to approach this, Joe, uh, is to pick up on uh, something uh, that you, Joe, had mentioned earlier about tribalism in religion. Um, it, 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 folks who have um, listened to the earlier broadcast that I was fortunate enough to do with you may know that on the one hand, uh, I am a lifelong Catholic, but my professional area is in Arabic and Islamic studies. And so having spent a fair number of years living in the Islamic world, I know a little bit about um, how tribalism and group identity intersect with religion. Well, that challenge also exists in the Catholic Christian faith as well as in Islam. The reason I'm mentioning this is for the following reason. Too often what happens is people will use collective religious identity as a cudgel, as a club to hit other people over the head with. And so the temptation is to say, oh, this notion of judgment and the reality of hell well, that exists in Islam just as it does in Christianity. And I've seen in both religions how a certain type of Puritan mentality will say, you know what? I've got God in my pocket. Right? I'm okay. And my faction's okay. But you other folks, you don't make the grade. Bam, you're going to hell. So it's all this notion of the strictness and accountability is applied to one's political, factional, tribal enemies. I've seen this in action. I think it's a universal human weakness to tend to do that. And on the other hand, there can also be the temptation to say, oh yeah, reality of heaven. Well, that's something that because I am aligned politically or tribally in the correct way, that's for me and that's for my buddies, okay? What's really hard is to internalize those notions of reward and love on the one hand and strict accountability on the other, what we need to do is to internalize it. And instead of using it as a stick to hit others with is to try to be a little bit strict with ourselves, be forgiving towards others, but also hold ourselves to account. That's a challenge. Yeah. Oh, I'm I, glad I, you said that. I'm glad I, you I said also like want that. to take a stab at what you said, Joe. Because I, I think both obviously apply justice and mercy. And I look at it as a father. Um, obviously, God is perfect and I am not. But my son yesterday kicked a hole in my shed. Um, so my wife called me at Joe, work. I'm sorry, Joe. I, why am I not shocked? Go ahead. <laughs> well, anyway, um, so there has to be some justice. And I told him, you have to go in your room. And I have to do this because you have to learn you can't behave this way. But in the night, he came down to sleep with his sister. And there's the mercy. I don't care. My wife's like, he came down last night. That's fine. Like, I think there has to be love in both things. There can't be an absence of love in justice, and there can't be an absence of love in mercy. Love as a father, God is the father, sees the act, but he also loves us, and there has to be both. 
But if there's an absence of love, and we see that with justice, then it's not just. Justice without love isn't just. And frankly, it doesn't, I don't think, act in an effective manner. And that's what I think as just a dad who I have to try to balance that sometimes with your kids. Um, and I think God does that perfectly. Yeah, what that's do you good. Think? Yeah, and, and I would just add to that that what I've tried to do in Providence Blue, in, in my story, is to take these essential Catholic Christian teachings and then put them into the form of story and put them in a way that will engage readers' imaginations. This goes back to what we were talking about earlier, Joe. Uh, and that's why, for example, I do things like um, the characters. It turns out that in the story, and again, I don't want to spoil the plot too much, but Edgar Allan Poe and Robert E. Howard are sent back through the slipstream of time to ancient Egypt, where they undergo a quest to bring back a treasure from the first century BC. And, um, and so I, I try to pro provide a story that's entertaining and intriguing. And hey, I'm biased, I'm the author, but I do think the story is fun. <laughs> and um, catch the reader's imagination at the same time, because everyone loves a treasure hunt. Everyone loves being <clears throat> on a quest in ancient Egypt. And that's part of the story also. Excellent. Joe Racinello, we probably have time for one more question. Well, David, you mentioned you're, you know, you're a professor, uh, Santa Clara University. Um, we're an emeritus professor. You've taught countless students. Do they think about the end, their end? I mean, I went to a Jesuit college. I went to Scranton. It's very similar to Santa Clara, just on the opposite side of the country. Um, I mean, I didn't. I mean, like, I think it's important that we all, and I think that's one of the themes of this book, you know, is to think about our own end. Um, and, and, you know, how we come to that and embrace it, because uh, it's reality. Uh, do you think as Americans, we don't think about it enough? And how could we put that in front of people and, and yes. make them contemplate it? Yes. Um, you know, I think, unfortunately, there's a tendency in our society, and perhaps uh, the United States is more subject to this than other societies. There's a tendency to kid ourselves and to think, Oh, yeah, uh, I am immortal. You know, so many people, and I have to say, I especially notice it here in the Bay Area in California, so many people think, oh, yeah, if I'm careful about what I eat, if I make sure that I exercise a lot, and, you know, for a lot of people that becomes kind of a cult, you know, then I can live indefinitely. Uh, few people will say, I'm going to live forever, but a lot of people act as if that's the case. And when I'm working with my students, you know, one of the things that I try to do is to get people, get uh, young people to think about, okay, what direction do you want to take your life? Because we are on a pilgrimage. As pilgrims, we know that our final home is not here. And what I have found is that, um, it's absolutely true. Many young people are just not inclined to think about perhaps the afterlife. But what's interesting is that just as you mentioned, Joe, that um, you knew someone who had committed suicide, uh, there are uh, two people in my life 
whom I was close to who committed suicide and they were part of the inspiration for this story. Well, what I have found is that when I talk to students and mention realities like despair, lack of hope, and the temptation of suicide, that gets their attention because there are lots of young people who are very emotionally vulnerable during the time that they're undergraduates. That's often a time when they're questioning things. That's a time when they've often become um, unanchored from what they grew up in. And so if I approach it in those terms, in terms of thinking about what is it that can anchor us and provide us a faith life, that can be a starting point for thinking about the afterlife and how best to order our life so that we can be prepared for reunion with Christ and his blessed mother. David, we have to leave it there. We're coming up at the end of the segment. Where can folks buy the book? So folks can buy Providence Blue, a fantasy quest. They can find it at ignatius.com and also on Amazon. Thank you for that. David Vanol, thanks again for coming back to the show, brother. You're a friend of the show and you're welcome back here anytime. So we really appreciate you, the conversation. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you so all much. All right. God bless. You're welcome. And thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. We'll talk to you very soon. Remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere.